SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. Welcome back to the Sportsbeat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. CJ Moore of The Athletic and Bleacher Report is out this week. He is busy, furiously writing stories for the NCAA tournament, making himself some money. It's good for him. In his place, we have a very special guest. I'm very excited about this episode. We have Nick Schwert of Rock Chalk Sports Talk out of 1320 out of Lawrence and also does the Jayhawk Network pregame show with David Lawrence. Does a great job there. Nick, welcome to the Sports BKC podcast. Thanks for coming on with us. Well, thanks for having me, Jesse. We've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations spanning thousands of hours together, but never on the KC Sports Beat podcast. So this is a bucket list item for me. And uh, I'm be honest, a little starstruck to be on here with you. <laughs> uh, you're too kind, but here, here's the good part: is that whenever I come on your show every Wednesday, for those who want to check out the podcasts online and and want to check that out, you pretend like I'm the expert. And so now today, I actually get to flip the script here, and we get to talk. And you're the expert that really is, which is the case, which is the reality. So I get to throw sure. questions at you, and you get to be the KO expert too, who answers them. So uh, this will be kind of fun. Yeah, please refer to me as Radio Superstar uh, throughout this interview. <laughs> okay, well, hey, I, I can absolutely do that if you want me to. Uh, you probably <laughs> shouldn't tempt me or dare me on these sorts of things. Uh, all right, well, we got some questions, some Twitter questions out here, and actually Nick is nice enough. He's doing this on his vacation out in L.A. How is the weather out in L.A., Nick, by the way? You know what's so crazy is when I left, it was 60 degrees and sunny in Kansas City, and when I got out here, the first thing that people told me was, oh, this is the coldest week it's been all year. It's like 55, cloudy. So I'm like, of course, I'll leave. It'll be 30 degrees back in Kansas, and it'll be back to 75 and sunny here. So there you go. Don't be too jealous of me. <laughs> I won't be. Well, and sometimes you can see the air out there, which is not something that uh, is, is <laughs> preferred either. So uh, that's another thing about L.A. But I won't say too much about L.A. because that could be a location that KU will be mm-hmm. at in a couple weeks. Uh, so that's something we'll get to. Real quick, before we get to these questions, Nick, um, any comments just briefly about the, the run that KU's on, the five straight wins, the Big 12 title that happened. What have you seen from this team in the last couple weeks uh, as far as just coming together at the right time? And, and what do you think that maybe the, the key moment was for this team to kind of get going back again? Well, we've said all year long that the margin for error for this team is just so, so slim. And I still think that's the case. But I feel like that, that margin has maybe narrowed itself just a little bit because of two guys. And it's because of arguably your two best players in Devontae Graham and Yudoka Azebuki, I would argue, are playing the best basketball of their career right now. And for both of them, it's kind of weird to say this on a Bill Self coach team, but for both of them, it seems to be offensively focused, right? Yudoka is just, I mean, he's been efficient, the best, most efficient big man all year long, but it seems like he's kind of taken that to another level. And in that three-game stretch for KU, which I think going into it, You could have made the case it was the toughest three-game stretch on their schedule, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. I would argue that's the best three-game stretch that Devontae's had all season long. So when you have two of your best players like heightening their game to the next level, I think that it does kind of narrow that that margin for error just a little bit. But um, I I know this is going to sound a little bit corny, Jesse, but it it just seems like what what Bill Self does – 
so much better than certainly every coach in the Big 12 and better than most coaches in the country is he puts an immense amount of pressure on these guys. And throughout the season, maybe early in the season, if things don't go according to plan, if you leave a guy in the end of the game in, in Norman and he misses some free throws and everybody's asking, why would you do that? That is is what I think Bill Self does so well, is he puts pressure on these guys to the point of when you get to the moments where it really matters, like when it really matters against West Virginia or Oklahoma or Texas Tech down in Lubbock, these guys have been in those situations so many times before. It kind of gets them ready for opportunities that other programs across the country, other programs across the conference, like they can't really replicate that sort of stuff. And when you get into situations where you've got to go down to Lubbock and win a game to win the conference, I feel like those are the sorts of games in which players come to Kansas to play in, where other programs, other guys, doesn't matter if you're at Texas Tech and you want to start something different, you just can't replicate, I think, what is built in to being a Kansas player, which is in large part what I think Bill Self has tried to build. So I just think that even though it sounds a little corny, I feel like the reason they're playing so well is because these are these are the types of moments that you come to Kansas to play in and that Bill Self kind of instills in these guys. Does that is that too corny of a Disney Channel sports movie type answer? Or do you think there's <laughs> actual merit to that? No, I, I think this is what there's merit to. And I kind of wrote about this a little bit yesterday. With KU, if you look statistically, they have a team that looks exactly like them. And this kind of stunned me a little bit when looking at it. But it's Iowa State from last year. Like, if you look at the advanced efficiency numbers, KU's 9th and 42nd in offense and defense. Iowa State was 11th and 43rd or something like that. Like, they're basically the same team. They they have a guard in an attack. They don't turn it over often. They don't rebound well, but they don't foul on the defensive end. And it's kind of this four-guard lineup you're looking at. That Iowa State team had 11 losses at the end of the year. This KU team, what does it have now? Is it five losses, six losses? It has uh, 24 yeah. and six, so six losses. That's what Bill Self does. I mean, the teams that are kind of the same talent-wise and play the similar styles – KU's teams are the ones that win the close games. And the other teams in the Big 12 are the ones that don't win the close games. And so, again, we've been talking about this from the beginning of the year, Nick, about how this is kind of the magic formula for KU. But I think a lot of it goes into what you were speaking of, is that in the toughest moments, KU seems to rise to the toughest moments, and other teams seem to expect KU to rise in the toughest moments, and other teams do not do as well in the toughest moments. And because of that, you see this close game record at the end of the season, and you look at it and you say, how did KU win so many close games? And again, the magic formula always seems to be the players that play well in crunch time and the coach that always seems to be, that is always there year after year after year that seems to get those guys to do those those sorts of things. Does that make any sense? I think it makes perfect sense. And I think that game down in Norman against Oklahoma, like it's a, it's an, it's a good example, at least from my vantage point, to say uh, so many people were questioning uh, Self's decision to leave Udoka in the game, and I know that there are people who are are still saying it was the wrong move. KU could have won a game; they could have wrapped up the Big Twelve, or even earlier than they did. Which I'm not really buying into that. I, I think that if you win that game, then maybe some other things play out differently down the stretch. But that is a situation in which. Bill Self put a ton of pressure on one of his kids. And while I'm sure he was doing that because he wanted to see Udoka maybe make a free throw and, and see that kind of spur him on to a, a strong second half of Big 12 play, I think the the results of that decision 
are almost irrelevant in in just in, in the context of what Bill Self does at Kansas, yes. which is pressure on kids. And I think his way of looking at it is if if this pressure breaks you, well then maybe you're not built for this, right? And if you respond the way that we we've had so many guys respond in the past, well then we're going to be so much better off because of it. I, I, again, I I think the results are are almost irrelevant because it's just what Bill Self does so well. Is he puts pressure on these kids knowing that if they respond, the team is going to be so much better for it. I think you can see another example of that, and I kind of thought about this after the Baylor game. You know, Bill Self was at his wit's end with Malik Newman. He had benched him that game again, didn't start him, said they needed more from him, and then after that kind of transitioned and pivoted and said, hey, I need my best five starters to play well together, and since then KU hasn't lost a game. And it came to mind again when KU played Oklahoma at Allen Fieldhouse. And once things started to slip from Oklahoma, Trey Young and, and McNeese and some of those other guys, like, you could see they had given up. Like, you could see <laughs> that Lon Kruger had lost them. And I think it's just another good example to see that because when has Bill Self lost a player? Like, can you remember the last time that a main rotation player like a Trey Young or Jamani McNeese for KU – where it's gotten lost. Bill Self has lost him completely, and the guy still has had to play or, or still gets playing time to play through it. It's just it's so rare for that to happen that, that Bill Self, like you said, kind of pushes you to your limit, pushes you to the edge of that cliff, but doesn't push you off. You know what I mean? Like You, you don't fall yeah. off the cliff. And so that, to me, is kind of also what you're talking about here is that when Malik Newman, he walked him up to the edge. I mean, Malik Newman was at the edge of the cliff and then backed off him at the perfect moment. Malik Newman responds after that, plays his best, and then part of that is playing a really good game against Oklahoma where you see Trey Young going in a completely different direction and kind of giving up on his team at the end. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I don't know if other coaches have that luxury of being able to push guys to the edge that Bill Self does because when you've got a track record of that working and other guys being pushed to the edge and Mm -hmm. responding and being better because of it, well, then all of a sudden you kind of have the credibility to be able to continue to do that, especially when you're a freshman and you see one of the leaders of this team being pushed. And then all of a sudden, by the time that you're an upperclassman and you're one of those guys in that position, that you kind of know how to respond. Whereas Lon Kruger's a great coach, don't get me wrong, but the, the track record of consistent success simply isn't there. I mean, look at what Oklahoma was a season ago. I wonder if if other coaches try to replicate what self does but simply can't because you're not Bill Self and you're not Kansas and you don't have 14 straight Big 12 championships. Yeah, and a lot of times, a lot of other years, Bill Self has been able to do that because of the depth that he has. So kind of a magician's act this year to be able to, to have those same things happen, to get the same results out of his guys, especially late in the season, without having the luxury of being able to bench guys as much as he did in the past. So that's kind of a a fascinating subplot. I want to go ahead and get to a question here I think that kind of fits in with the discussion we have from Jeffrey. It's JBE741 on Twitter, and he says, How do you rank this year among the self-coaching jobs? How do you balance the success with this team and roster with the self-created recruiting roster challenges the coaching staff dug themselves into and had to dig out of? So I guess I'll pose that to you, Nick. Where do you you see this on the range of Bill's self-coaching jobs? Jesse, I've I've given you my theory. I'm going to first float a, a theory to you because I have to to answer this question. I've given you my theory on how we often determine coach of the year. Doesn't matter if it's if it's college basketball, any sport. Coach of the year in the conference, in the country. I feel like often the criteria for coach of the year is we 
picked you guys to be a bad team before the season, you guys actually ended up being a good team. So because we know so much, the only the only thing that could be off here is that you did a really good coaching job. And I'm not saying that Chris Beard doesn't deserve to be Big 12 Coach of the Year, but I think in large part the reason why he's going to get Coach of the Year is Texas Tech was picked to finish at the bottom of the conference. They ended up finishing at the top of the conference. It must be coaching. With that being said, Bill Self, okay, you've picked to finish first in the conference. Here they are, first in the conference. But I think that this is – you can look at specific instances this season, specific instances where it's, okay, coaching kind of turned this team around. Bill Self was asked to get creative, and he kind of – found ways to piece this this season together and all of a sudden it seems like they're on the verge of, of running away with the Big 12 title depending on what happens this weekend um I think it's it's for me it's number two and it's a very very close second behind the 2019 but I'm I could be convinced I could easily be convinced that this season's more impressive because in 2009 I mean you knew what you had coming back in Sharon Collins a junior um I think we knew that that Cole had the had the chance to be a a really special player after what he did in the Final Four, but uh, in the moment right now, I can think of more specific examples of how coaching won them games and how coaching turned things around this year. Um, so it's it's number two for me, but I, again, I could be easily convinced if you want to try and convince me that this is number one, Jesse. Yeah, I, I think I think it's up there, and I, I'm with you. I think. To me, the first one the media comes to mind is 0809, and because yeah. of the reasons you mentioned, they, you can say they knew what they had coming out with Sharon Collins, yet he wasn't even a starter on the title team, and I know some of that was just politics. Do you remember how frustrating it was to watch the Morris Twins at time their freshman year? Well, like the the other thing about that team is, you know, it's easy to look back and say, okay, well, you knew Kansas was going to be good, yada, yada, yada. I remember that year. I didn't know that Kansas was going to be good. No, I, we, I, didn't know, we didn't know who Tyshawn Taylor was. We didn't know who Mario Little was or the Morris Twins. I just remember they went to Michigan State in that game, and they lost by 13, but it wasn't that close. Like, they were down 25 or 30. I mean, it was – they were got – and that was that was a Michigan State game in January. Like, that was the game before conference play began, and you're looking at that team and saying, what is this team? You know, what what's going yeah. – I mean, is this team going to be good enough to finish – third or fourth in the league, that sort of thing. And then, you know, to start off the season 8-0. You know, the other one that would come to mind, and I think would come to mind for Self as well, would be his second team at Kansas. Uh, uh, after uh, the three losses in a row to recover, I believe that was the year. And we also got to mention... Yeah, it, was, uh, it was the Bucknell year, right? Simeon's senior year? That's right, yeah. And they, they lost three in a row. Remember, they lost double overtime at Texas, overtime at home against Iowa State, and then against Oklahoma. And kind of a transition year. Maybe it was even the year after that because... It was actually it probably was 06 because if you look at that team, you know you knew you had Langford, Simeon, all those guys. But the year after that, you kind of had a totally young team uh, with yeah. Rush, Chalmers, Julian Wright, and uh, they went to Maui and looked terrible. They lost two of three in Maui, and I remember thinking, oh boy, like this could be an ugly season with all these young guys. That team started off three and four, so that's the team. That was his third year. Started off three and four, and then also we kind of forget, but started off one and two in conference play uh, after losses to K-State and Missouri. So uh, that one, again, finding it, piecing it together, getting the the right sort of contributions out of Chalmers, Rush, a bunch of young guys, along to go with uh, Julian Wright. Uh, that was a good coaching job as well. Again, I think 
if you take context in all of this, you're right that there were so many times where this team, this team, this particular team seemed to be at a crossroads where things could have gone very south very quickly, and it never did, and it never does with Kansas. Having said all that, you know, if you if people vote Chris Beard, I just don't have a major issue with it. Like last year, I remember writing, okay. I, I remember writing in February, like Bill Self is the coach of the year. Period. End of discussion. No one else has an argument. This year. For Chris Beard to have that team up a game with a couple weeks to go and then have an injury to one of his key players. But, again, would Bill Self have figured out a way? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But for this Texas Tech team, I think I think Chris Beard's a stud is basically what I'm saying. And yeah. I, I don't I don't have any problem with that. But I don't have any problem if you have an argument for, coach, for, for Bill Self as coach of the year either because of what he's done this year too. Okay, I have a way to fix all of our problems, Jesse. And this will fix every problem moving forward. Sounds with good. The 12th coach of the year. We name the Big 12 Coach of the Year award after Bill Self. So this year we would be giving Chris <laughs> Beard the Bill Self Big 12 Coach of the Year. Doesn't that kill two birds with one stone? It seems like it's going to happen someday, right? I mean, you almost have to Honestly. name something after him at some point. Honestly, like in 2030 when Tyler Self is coaching the Kansas Jayhawks and uh, he's winning the Bill Self Big 12 Coach of the Year award. I think it's, I think it's perfect. It'll mean something a little bit more special to him, and I'm sure that uh, myself and Gary Bedore will still be asking uh, Tyler questions at that time. <laughs> uh, another, no doubt. Yeah, another good question from Jeffrey. Uh, we'll get to questions from others, I promise, but he had a good one, and this is kind of another talking point since we're on the uh, discussion of the hot topic points right now. He said, Devontae Graham time, Big 12 player of the year, status in the All-American conversation, and then he says he'll hold off on the Raptors question until the off season. But those are the two big questions right now, Nick. Big 12 player of the year, and is he an All-American? What are your thoughts on that? You know, two weeks ago, I was still on the Trey Young Big 12 Player of the Year train. And my reason for it was, even though Oklahoma was kind of spiraling out of control and, and he was a big reason because of it, I think that I, there was nobody at the time who had jumped up and, and grabbed the award away from him. And I said, you don't just take it away from him and hand it to somebody else. You have to have somebody else come and win it. Well, I think Devontae Graham went and won the Big 12 Player of the Year award down in Lubbock last Saturday. Like, you went down there and, and nearly single-handedly won the Big 12 by putting the team on your back. For my money, that he won the Big 12 Player of the Year award. Uh, so, quite frankly, I don't think there, there's much discussion on Big 12 Player of the Year. And if I start to work through that logic in my head and apply it to National Player of the Year or All-American honors... I don't think that you can win National Player of the Year if you don't win Big 12 Player of the Year. I know that other people disagree with me on that. They're different criteria um, because, yes, you weigh the Big 12 games over the non-con games in the Big 12 Player of the Year race, but the, the logic kind of applies. If you want to use Trey Young as an example, a lot of his best games were coming against inferior competition or in losing efforts, and I don't think that you can give the guy who basically played an insignificant part in the college basketball discussion down the stretch this year. I mean, I know maybe I'm being a little harsh on Trey Young, but Oklahoma's a rather insignificant team in the national landscape as we kind of get into the NCAA tournament. So I don't really know if you can give him national player of the year. And if that's the case, like if, if I can't even justify putting him ahead of Devontae Graham, then am I not... I guess theoretically putting Devontae Graham on first team All American list. I, I Frank Mason won National Player of the Year unanimously last year, and his statistics were good enough to win him that. But he didn't win it on stats alone, and more than anything else, Frank Mason had more of those season defining moments than anybody else in the country did. And if I apply that logic to Devontae, 
Who has more of those moments than him this year? Who has a better singular moment than going on the road against your stiffest competition in the conference, putting the team on your back, and winning the conference basically by yourself? I mean, maybe that's too strong, but Devontae Graham basically went down to Lubbock and won the Big 12. And for me, that's the best singular moment that any player in college basketball has had this season. Uh, I don't know if I'd give him National Player of the Year, but he's on my first-team All-American list. I, I, I think that... The other four are pretty set in stone, but uh, he's definitely on the first-team All-American for me. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know. What say you? <laughs> I'll be devil's advocate for sure because uh, I'm still in the Trey Young camp because, for me, I'm trying and, – and you know how I operate, Nick. I'm trying my hardest. Listen, if you go to my Twitter feed, and you know this, you can find a lot of Devontae Graham stories. I mean, I write about him a lot, and I'm one of his biggest proponents. Like, I think he's had a great year. I'm trying as much as I can to eliminate bias. You know what I'm saying? Like, and especially sure. recency bias and what we've just seen in the last two weeks compared to what we've seen over the course of a season. Try to remember back in November and December what we were saying about Trey Young and how we'd never seen anything like this in college basketball. And frankly, if you look statistically, we still have never seen anything like this in college basketball. Him trying to do what he's done for this Oklahoma team and as much, you know, the usage percentage or the offensive load. No college basketball player has taken this on in the last two decades since we've been tracking these measures. And so for me, when I'm looking at this, Bill Self campaigned and did a smart thing at the exact right moment, which is after Devontae's biggest game on the biggest stage and him completely taking over and the signature moment of his career, he came out and said, he's the Big 12 Player of the Year. How can you argue with me? And it was smart. It was brilliant, and it immediately flipped a bunch of people's minds about him. If Bill Self does not do that, I don't know that we're having the same discussion right now, but the fact that Bill Self is smart and he's respected and KU had just won the Big 12, he came out at the perfect mo time and basically tried to campaign for his guy to get him the award. Now, listen, the, the problem with us saying this about Trey Young is that we saw Trey Young at his absolute worst. I mean, the lowest point of his season, we saw that second half at Allenfield House where he kind of gave up, and he gave up on his team and played horrible defense. Uh, I'm still willing to look at the whole thing, and again, the problem, part of the problem with this is, is it the best player? Is it the most valuable player? Is it just conference? Is it the conference plus season? You know, you can argue different semantics right. with this, and it would change your answer. For me, I'm looking at start of season to end of season and best player. Not most valuable because I could make a case for Devontae with that. To me, that best player is still Trey Young. Leads the nation points and assists per game. Uh, still doing crazy things. And, and I think I will let you talk about what I just said there, but I think there's another Twitter question that kind of gets more to this point that we can debate as well after this. So uh, your basic general thoughts on what I just said there and kind of the case for Trey Young, even though he hasn't played his best late. And I'm not going to penalize him for having bad teammates and for being decent in a Big 12 that's really, really good this year. Um, your basic argument is what I have been saying all year long. Even yeah. when Oklahoma had lost, I don't know, four in a row, three in a row, mm -hmm. and it looked like he was slowly relinquishing that title. And I said, well, nobody else has came and take it from him. And let's not get too cute here, right? Let's not make this more difficult than it is. Yes. Look at his numbers. Look at what he's doing. He's the best player in the country. And I still I – wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that. To me, what I go back to is – He's doing it on an insignificant team from the national standpoint of college basketball. Like, can you, like, like maybe this isn't a good criteria. Um, my, my producer, Derek Johnson, always kind of brings this up when we get into these sorts of discussions. 
can you tell the story of, of college basketball right now without Trey Young? I think a month ago you couldn't. I think right now, coming down the stretch, it would be a nice little footnote if you were explaining to somebody college basketball this season. You'd say, well, right now, Villanova, Michigan State, they're doing all these things. Kansas won 14 in a row. Uh, Trey Young had a really, really good start to the season, but now Oklahoma, like they're they're kind of fluttering and they're on the verge of not making the tournament. To me, if that's the story of Oklahoma in college basketball, and maybe I just maybe I just was very kind to myself and trying to make my own argument and how I describe Oklahoma, but I just think that it's the insignificance of Oklahoma as a team is a is a big uh, hindrance for me to try and put him in National Player of the Year. Again, I don't feel very very strongly about that. Like I said, I, I've I've been in your side in your camp for pretty much the whole season until about two weeks ago. But when Devontae Graham went down to Lubbock, um, it just seemed like a moment. And and those sorts of moments, I think, do to ma- do matter. The defining moments like Frank Mason had last year, hitting the shot against Duke, I mean, making the play against Kansas State where he's diving out of bounds. I think those are the sorts of moments that kind of that make seasons. And this kind of goes with the theme of, of my appearance today on this podcast, which is cheesy, corny, Disney movie type lines, but I don't know. Maybe it works. You have to balance me out because I'm Mr. Cold Hard Rational Facts. So right. it's, it, this is a exactly. good pairing right here. <laughs> well, and this gets me to the question I wanted to ask because I think this gets at the heart of the matter. And this is from Fog Nation. It's at Rock Chalk Mofo on Twitter, if you guys dare to type that into Twitter. <laughs> he said if, uh, if Devontae was allowed to play the same style as Trey Young and had green light to chuck up threes from 30 feet in. Does he put up the same or better numbers than Trey and more W's? So hmm. what is your thought on that? Okay, well, let's just look at the numbers. Let's Mr. Cold Hard Data Guy. Um, <laughs> Devontae Graham shooting 42% from three-point range this year. Trey Young shooting 37%. We'll round up and give him 37. Uh, say Trey's averaging about 10 more points per game. He's averaging just about a assist and a half more per game. So... Basically, we're talking about 10 points and about five percentage points from beyond the arc. Um, if Devontae was allowed to shoot as much as Trey Young, I don't think the numbers would be quite as high. I think they'd be close. I think they would be very, very similar. But if you, if you really think about it, I mean, Trey hasn't necessarily had the ball in his hands more than Devontae. Devontae is the only initiator of the offense, and he's playing just as much as anybody in the country. I think the numbers would be somewhat comparable, maybe 24, 25 points per game. I don't know how much more the assists could go up. But the the real question is, is Devontae Graham playing with Trey Young's teammates? Because I think it's very clear Devontae Graham has much better teammates around him than Trey Young does. This is the basic point that I'm making. I mean, this is exactly why I would vote Trey Young as player there because when you're talking about that, you kind of have to really laser focus in on Devontae's strengths and weaknesses. If you say, hey, you put him on Oklahoma, what happens? And you're right. His assists would probably go up, but I'm not sure by how much. And, I mean, Trey Young's assist rate right now is like 50%. Basically, 50% of the assists that happen. absurd. 50% of the assists that happen on the court when he's on the court are, are the what he does. The other thing I think that would be a big hindrance for Devontae, and he's gotten better at this, but if you look, Trey Young right now, I think he's a 50% two-point shooter, and Devontae Graham is a 40% two-point shooter. Yeah. And yeah. so if you're asking him to do more and score more and be more of an offensive creator – that's not what Devontae does best, and we've seen him struggle to score at the rim. And so to ask him to do more of that, 
as a 40% two-point shooter, I think inevitably his his efficiency would go down. And so, again, this kind of goes back to my original point, which is if you switch circumstances, which I, I guess you – I mean, are we basically just saying, Trey Young, you can't win this player of the year award because you went to Oklahoma instead of Kansas? I mean, in an honesty, like, this worked out for Trey Young. It looks – I just saw a mock draft. He's number six overall, and we thought for a long time that he was going to be a three- or four-year player in college. So what he did is best for his professional future, but – I think this does bring up an interesting point. If you switch these two guys, who succeeds better in that role? And I think Trey Young succeeds better in that role. And I think that he probably did lead Oklahoma to more wins just because he is limited in the pieces that are around him. Well, let me ask you this, because if you look at his his, uh, offensive rating on Kim Palm, he's about eight points below the regular season, what he's done in conference play. 105.4 is his offensive rating, which is about sixth best in the Big 12. Um, do you actually use that as an argument for him, considering how how high his usage percentage is, that he's still managed to be basically the sixth most efficient player in Big 12 play? Yeah, that those two numbers, and you, you hit it right on the head. You have to use those numbers in concert with each other because, you know, 105.4, if that's your offensive rating, it doesn't Not tell, that great. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not spectacular. Not right? spectacular, but again, you have to use it in context, which is, okay, his usage percentage is 40%, which basically means, <laughs> I mean, the average college player has 20% usage percentage because there's five guys on the floor. You split up the offensive role into five pieces. 100 divided by five is 20. If you look at Trey Young, his usage percentage is 40%. And so he's basically doing the role of two players on the floor instead of one. Uh, that's just pretty remarkable if you look at it and pretty crazy to say that his efficiency is still that good even having to take on that type of role for KU. You may, you're slowly getting me to come over to the dark side, the dark side that is powered by cold, hard statistics and numbers, but uh, there's still, there's still uh, a little bit of the force inside of me. And <laughs> I'm, sticking with, I'm sticking with the moments. I'm sticking with Dite. Okay, well, maybe an interesting discussion next week when you come on your radio show and all those uh, all those lists are released. And now you can at least speak to the other side of it, but an interesting uh, debate nonetheless just because of uh, what this – what this last few weeks has done to us and kind of made us look at this in a whole different lens. Uh, let's get to a couple more, Nick, before I let you go. Again, Nick Schwartz of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Be sure to check it out. KLWN, he puts up podcasts, too, online. And I know I've heard from a lot of people that uh, download those and listen to those, so that's good stuff if you're on the go as well. From KU Fan 3 he says, uh, can you, Nick, give me Radio Nick's opinion on what this team's likely tournament ceiling is? So what do you see as a ceiling for this uh, KU basketball team? Well, see, uh, I like that. That's clearly a loyal listener of RCST because Radio Nick, Jesse, and you and I have actually had these discussions because sometimes we'll be talking about something on the air and then you'll come up to me like at a game or after a press conference and you'll start engaging me on a discussion and I'll say, yeah, well, I was just kind of saying that for the radio. (laughs) And at first you were very miffed by that. You said, where's your integrity? You know, and I said, no, sometimes you just, sometimes there's Nick and then there's Radio Nick. So um, Nick would tell you that this team's ceiling for the the NCAA tournament is as high as any teams in the country because any argument that you want to make against Kansas it can be made against any team in the country, right? You can say that Michigan State played in a credit conference this year, so of course they're not going to be able to win the NCAA tournament. You could say Villanova's playing their worst basketball of the season. You could say Duke's best player can't stay on the court. So any argument you want to use against KU, you can use against anybody. They're playing their best basketball, so they're going to be a trendy team, I think, to win the NCAA tournament. Now, Radio Nick 
would tell you that this team has absolutely no shot because they're overrated. They still can't rebound. The same problems we saw back in November still persist right now. It's been a cool story. They won 14 in a row. That's all fine and dandy, but this team has no shot of winning it because they're simply not strong enough, they're not deep enough, and they're going to be exposed in March. So there's Radio Nick. <laughs> Radio Nick uh, kind of had a low ceiling there. He was kind of talking floor, wasn't he? Radio Nick is in a bad – you never know what kind of day you're going to get Radio Nick on. It could be a happy day. It could be a sad day. I want to know, does a Radio Jesse exist? Do you have it in your DNA to be controversial just for the sake of being controversial? That's the real test of, of a radio <laughs> star. Do you have that in you, Jesse? I think that's Twitter Jesse, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still think that – Whatever version of Jesse I get, it's usually grounded in reality, uh, which is it's it's that's nice sometimes, but I don't. Sometimes I think I want a little I, edge there. I think I think Twitter Jesse can be hot take Jesse sometimes, or uh, hey, Rhode Island fans, your team really isn't that good, Jesse. You know things like that. <laughs> hey, hey, your team might lose by like thirty this week at home, so like don't talk trash to me on Monday. You know that sort of yeah. guy. You know, you know how to you know how to to spark a fire just a little bit. You know how to pour some gas. <laughs> That's true. I, I agree with you in all those regards, Nick, and especially with this team. Um, you kind of think back. I think back to last year with against the in Purdue, where KU just started shooting three so hot. If KU shoots it well, and I know this is what fans hate to hear. If KU shoots it well, they play well. But like, not every team has four shooters like Kansas does on the floor. And KU any moment could start a game six for eight from three, and you basically can't lose from there. I mean, you you have a ten to twelve point lead, and you're gonna win. And that good. That's the case against Virginia or Purdue or Duke or North Carolina or Michigan State. Like, it doesn't matter. If KU has one of those games, they can beat anybody. And so that's the ceiling with this team. The ceiling is it has the pieces and the offensive weaponry firepower to beat any team on any night. It doesn't matter how well that team is playing. And that's a nice luxury to have. Agree? Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, They need luck just like every team in the tournament needs luck to win six games. And I don't know that... I don't even know if I'd make the case that the Kansas needs more of it than any other team. So I'm with you. They have just as good of a shot as anybody. No sure things, but uh, Kansas does right. have uh, a, a very intriguing and interesting thing that it does do. Which, And you talked about this earlier. Really what's happened over the last six games, their offense is back on an uptick, and that's really what's led them to this win streak uh, over the you know to, to make up the Big 12 and to, to win over the last few weeks. From Boys Samurai Hawk, he says, potential 8-9 matchups which create the biggest issues for a one-seed Kansas in the tournament. Let me go to Bracket Matrix and read you off some names uh, from the 8-9 and line that they have right now. Tell me one team out of here that you think might be a problem for KU. All right, Seton Hall, Creighton, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State, Butler, Oklahoma, Missouri, Florida State. Oklahoma cannot face Kansas, so we'll go ahead and go down to Arizona State on the 10 line. Any of those teams you think a potential concern for Kansas if they got that second-round matchup? Do you think you're being sly, Jesse, by just slipping Missouri in there and expecting me not to go directly <laughs> to that one? Like uh, you just throw them in there like it's just any other team I just on went the 8-9 line? just went straight down Do the we- seed lines. Do we just – of course you did. Do we just – we have to go there, right? We have to start with Missouri, right? Probably. I think Kansas fans would be licking their chops to, to face Missouri in the tournament. I know that the people have all people have been asking, are you sure you want to face this team? If Michael Porter Jr. is coming back, um, I'm, I, I think Kansas fans would be extremely excited for the opportunity to end Missouri's season, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, and it's funny – again, this is just kind of a sidebar – Kansas played Missouri in the NCAA tournament in Wichita in volleyball this year. Isn't that weird? I mean, <laughs> it could happen again. Yeah, it is. 
well, it's good. And, it's and good. The, the question mark with Missouri, and I think this was going to be the question mark with Kansas this season if it ever happened, with if Billy Preston got eligible, how would he fit in? And, and how do the pieces fit when you've been playing a different style the whole season? And so while everyone talks about Missouri's ceiling going up with Michael Porter Jr., and I agree that it potentially does, you, it's a little bit tougher than baseball. You know, you can't just stick a guy in the lineup and he's hitting a baseball. Like, he's kind of an individual sport. You know, you don't really affect your teammates. Michael Porter Jr. coming back in, and that's going to take a little bit of an adjustment period. So, again, he's a great player. He's a future pro. He's a future lottery pick. All those sorts of things, which is great. But it might still take some time for Missouri to find its comfort level with him in there. So I'm not sure how all that would fit in and how much better that Missouri would immediately get. But it still makes their ceiling kind of tantalizing, if you would. Yeah. Do, do you want to add a future NBA pro, a, a lottery pick next year? Of course you do. But for the same things that you were just talking about, what it takes for Missouri to get acclimated to playing with him, I think it works conversely with him. Is is what's he going to look like right away? And how is he going to be trying to fit in with everybody else? So it's not quite as simple as it may seem on the surface, but if you're asking me uh, if that team scares me, I wouldn't necessarily go there. Um, Arizona State, you mentioned them. Obviously, that's a, that's, a, that's a very obvious answer because of the fact that they came into the field house and kind of whomped the Jayhawks earlier this year. But that, that style of team, to me, quick guards who can shoot it and get to the rim – that's kind of been KU's his problem is just keeping guys in front of them. So quick guards who can shoot it and score at the bucket, yeah, that would probably scare me a little bit. I'll also throw in a quick one for Butler and Creighton, uh, two Big East teams that kind of racked up losses, but all the uh, predictive numbers say they're better than what you think just based off of those. And so those might be games where the, the – opening spread would be a little bit closer than you think and sometimes I think we can't get caught up in matchups and thinking about what this would be bad for this or or KU wouldn't match up well with this when the bottom line is you basically want a team that you're favored by 12 against and then you hope you take your chances from there so uh, I'll throw those guys into the mix real quick lightning rounds uh, Nick before we get out of here with three Uh, first one is from Jamie Houston she says which is better for KU number one seed in the west LA or number two seed in the midwest Omaha real quickly before we get to that one uh, the NCAA tournament committee has been told to not put the two seed at a geographic advantage against a one seed so i think that's kind of a a question that you almost can't ask because if if ku gets a two seed it will not be in omaha because that would be at the one seed's disadvantage but as far as playing in uh i don't think bill self hates or would hate playing in los angeles getting away obviously ku had a golden opportunity last year to win close to home in the elite eight and didn't do it same thing two years ago i had a same golden opportunity didn't do it so i'm not sure bill self would really hate the opportunity to go out west a little bit further away and try to see what his team could do there Uh, i'll take it a step further i think bill self would prefer to be in los angeles as opposed to omaha yeah i think at at this point History would tell you that there is absolutely no benefit to playing a tournament game in your backyard. I mean, if there is a benefit, and we we all we, we wanted to act like it was a shoe in for KU to win in Kansas City, if there is a benefit, then show me the history. Show me the proof that teams playing the tournament close to their home uh, have a better win percentage than teams who have to travel. I mean, I, at least for, for Kansas, I don't think that there's any evidence to support that. Yeah, and again, what you would see in it, in the rational hard numbers of it, is you probably would get a point and a half to two points from the home court advantage, or the at least perceived home court advantage with officials. But again, it has not played that way for KU. And when you've seen KU struggle in the tournament over time, we all know this, they've looked a little bit tight in some of those games, and that has a tendency to happen when you're playing in front of a home crowd that starts to get nervous. You can feel yourself getting nervous as well. That might be a little yeah. bit different if the Jocks played in L.A. Uh, from Joel, Co- Joel Cochran, he says, after... 
His, quote, we know how to beat Kansas comment had Shaka Smart replaced Scott Drew, the Big 12 used to hate him, as the coach self that as the coach that coach self wants to beat the most because Bruce is obviously number one. So do you right. think uh, do you think Shaka is number two on that list? Um, no, no, I don't. I I still think it's probably Scott Drew, and I don't think it's because Scott Drew is for the same. It's not the same reasons that he wants to beat Bruce Weber. I think that Scott Drew's just he's probably the, he's the he's the punching bag for the Big Twelve, <laughs> and I don't think it's necessarily fair. A lot of times, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done at that program, what he inherited, and what he's built it into, but I'm still going Scott Drew over Shaka Smart. Are you? I think so, even though I, I think that Bill Self likes being Shaka. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, no, I, I'll, I'll stick with Scott Drew number two. Different but, reasons. I think he likes beating Scott Drew too, but it's for completely different reasons. And I think this Joel is cr- completely correct. Bruce is number one, and it's not close. Like it is, yep. it is a mountain of difference between number one and number two on this list. And the final one we'll get to from Bryson Sticker. He says, Nick, what would you consider the best KU Sports talk show and worst KU Sports talk show from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday? I'll just let you answer the best talk show, and then I can definitely answer the worst. Okay, uh, I will go with Rock Chalk Sports Talk on <laughs> 101.7 FM and 1320 KLWN. What's your answer? Uh, well, i got to go to the worst, and it's funny. We have the same one. It's crazy. How did you, huh. you know what I was going to pick? Wow, I'm actually offended by that. I <laughs> would even bring that up. But uh, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it since I've got I've clearly cornered the market on afternoon talk shows dedicated to Kansas basketball. I was gonna say the best has to be the worst of that instance because you guys are the only. So uh, yeah, Monopoly baby, you, you've got it covered. You've got it covered. Hey, well, Nick, uh, I appreciate having you on. Um, any other comments about uh, where people can reach you, and then tell us a little bit about the podcast that you do put up and, and can, where people can find those if they want to get more KU content. Yeah, if you can't listen live, uh, we podcast uh, every single show, a little best of podcast. You can find it on iTunes. If you just search for Rock Chalk Sports Talk, uh, you can find it on our website at klwn.com. It's on SoundCloud as well, uh, basically everywhere where you can get a podcast. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Nick underscore Schwert, that last name is a nightmare. So I am going to rely upon Jesse spelling it correctly on Twitter and in the podcast description for other people to be able to find it. Uh, that's maybe good. I need maybe I need to change my name for this business. Well, and people will find you on Twitter and realize that um, also you have a doppelganger, or maybe someone else has a doppelganger that is you. So at some <laughs> point, we have to get a meeting between you and Oklahoma's football coach because your Twitter bio photo is the Oklahoma football coach. Yet I always just think it's you because you guys look so much alike. Lincoln Riley is my guy. Maybe I'll be in Dallas for Big 12 Media Days, and we'll finally get that picture. Absolutely. That absolutely has to happen. Uh, Well, thanks to Nick, and I also want to encourage you guys, if you can, on iTunes, uh, rate and review the podcast. It's it's great to uh, have that on there and have more people find the podcast. I want to give a shout-out to Sam E. Getty, who uh, did so and talked about how he likes the podcast. And then Orlando Show also did the same thing, saying that he's learned more about basketball since listening to the podcast. So we appreciate those. Please do that so people uh, can find us on there. And obviously it's kind of the way to uh, tip the podcast, if you will. Uh, leave that dollar on the table like you do at, I don't know, what's the place? Perkins, IHOP, uh, uh, wherever, wherever you eat your uh, 2 a.m. Uh, egg omelet meals that's what you're doing for the podcast when you can go on itunes and give us a rate and review also available on soundcloud now since we've switched over so i want to thank nick for joining us and thanks to you guys out there for listening to the sports beat kc podcast be sure to tune in for another episode next week
SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase.